Ma. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get grown. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. All right, welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, joined once again by the familiar crew, the guys you know very well. That would be Kelvin Harris, also known as Ebony Lifestyles on Twitter, uh, former Miami Hurricanes center, three-time national champion, and our producer, Mike Zimmerman, who always does a tremendous job filling me in uh, on Kane's news. He's always on it. And, and we love coming together and, and putting the show together for you every single week. And, and now seems like the perfect time for a new episode, really, guys, because spring practice is right around the corner. It's going to start Monday. I'm actually, as we record this today, Wednesday at around 11 a.m., I'm going to be flying to Indianapolis uh, for some college football meetings shortly. Uh, of course, that's the site of the, uh, the Combine. And before we get to specifically previewing some of the storylines with the current team for spring practice. I want to talk a little bit about the combine and the eight guys that are there. Uh, some news coming out uh, a couple days ago, Jason LaConforna of CBS reporting that Michael Pinckney basically played his entire senior year with a torn labrum in his hip, and he won't be participating in the combine. So he's one of the seven guys, uh, or one of the eight guys, rather, that's there for interviews but will not be participating. So there will only be seven guys participating in the combine. I want to ask you first, Kelvin, um, did you go to the combine, by the way? Actually, no. I actually was coming off of an MCL, and uh, I did okay. not. So you never went to the combine. Um, what, what's your advice, you know, to these guys if they listen to this podcast? What would you say to them, you know, as far as what's the most important thing, um, you know, being an NFL guy, knowing NFL guys, that that matters the most through the interview process, etc. Well, the interview process, you know, you definitely need to show them that you're not a hooligan, you know. And I think, you know, from talking to my friends who've had some unique experiences there, depending on your history, you could get asked some really stupid questions. And they're trying mm -hmm. to get a rise out of you and see how you handle certain situations. Over the past few years, though, there's been some controversial questions that have come up to certain guys. But... They still want to see how you handle this. And, you know, going back to my situation, I am glad that I didn't go because when you have an injury, like Tua found out yesterday, you got to go through every one of those doctors and they're going to do their due diligence. And sometimes that could end up aggravating the injury that you had. So, like Pinckney. He's probably not going, you know, he's not participating, but he's still going to see every, probably every team doctor and everybody's going to want to have their own spin on his injury. And that is tiresome to have 32 people tugging and pulling at you. Um, but I think the most important thing that any guy going to the combine or at some point when it's his turn that it's in college right now needs to understand is the combine is not to show what you can do it's to uh show what you can't do so when they go to the negotiation table they can cut your money and you know 
it, it, but it's a game because Mike Mamula and some other guys figured out how to game the system by, you know, testing well. So if you test well and you have the right measurables, you can game the system. But um, there's a lot of propaganda that goes on. Like just example with Joe Burrow and they're talking about his nine inch hands. And I've been noticing on, you know, in the media, that's been a story about, well, can he play in Cincinnati? You know, that division with the weather. Okay, that's the, um, no other ways, that's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Because guess where Joe Burrow is from? Yeah. Cincinnati. (laughs) So I guess he never played in this weather in high school. So, you know, but it's propaganda and it's positioning because there's so much money at stake. So everybody's got their best chess and poker face on. They're playing long term and they're going to, it's a lot of lying going on. Like you, you see, you see some of the best lying in the world over the next month and a half. Yep. These guys are trying to get in position to get the, the players that they really want. So there's there's eight guys going. Jonathan Garvin and DJ Dallas, uh, the two underclassmen are the two highest rated prospects, according to Greg Zerline of, of NFL.com. Um, he grades both of them 6.0, which is basically uh, a day three type guy. There's no None of the guys are, are projected to go first, second, or third round. Um, Zerline has Trajan Bandy, Shaq Quarterman, Pinkney, uh, Jeff Thomas as what he calls backup slash special teamers. He grades them, you know, 5.9 all the way down to 5.8. And then he puts Trevon Hill and K.J. Osborne as guys who have a chance to make the end of a roster or practice squad. Uh, Hill with a 5.59 prospect grade and Osborne with a 5.50. Thursday, tomorrow is when you'll see the quarterbacks Receivers, tight ends get on the field. Then I think it shifts to uh, offensive linemen, um, kickers, and running backs. On Friday, Saturday, it'll be defensive linemen, linebackers. And then Sunday, it's DBs. So you're going to have wall-to-wall coverage uh, to watch all this stuff. But from a Canes perspective, I'll bring this subject up to both of you before we move on to spring football. How important do you think it is for Miami to continue to be an NFL factory and to do well on draft day? Do you think kids really determine whether or not they're going to go to school based on what's happening in the NFL? Because we've had shows talking about, uh, on this podcast before, talking about you know how fewer and fewer Miami guys are on NFL rosters who are, you know, there are fewer and fewer Hurricanes who are pro bowlers and et cetera. Um, but how important would you gauge this draft to be from a from a national perspective, and I'll start with you, Mike Zimmerman. I I think it's a a a fifty fifty thing. I think it's half kids want to go to a school where they know they'll be able to get to the league, and a school that has track record of sending kids to the league, especially in the first round. And I think the other half is kids want to go to a school that's going to win. And you know, when Miami was clicking on all cylinders, they had both. And at this point, they don't have either. So I I think that's why. We've seen the lack of not only first-rounders, but just NFL draft picks from Miami. It's just, it starts from recruiting where these top athletes just don't want to come to Miami because they haven't seen uh, Miami able to produce high-end draft picks of late. And also, they just, they haven't been winning. So kids don't want to go to a school for three or four years and not win. So I I think it's a a two-part thing. And Miami hasn't checked either of those boxes in the last, what, 10 years? Yeah, 
Yeah, we've talked about it plenty on the show. Um, I, I'm of the opinion, before I get to yours, Kelvin, that it is important for Miami to continue to be known as an NFL factory. And they're going to need here someone in the next couple of years to really turn into a star because all of the stars are starting to age. Uh, the pro bowlers are getting older and older. There's not a lot of young guys who are, who are sort of primed to be in that position. Of these eight guys, Kelvin, um, who do you think is going to end up being the best pro? Ooh. That's a tough one, huh? <laughs> uh, I would say either DJ Dallas or Trevon Hill. And to what DJ or Trevon. I guess why? Why do you why do you think those guys could be effective and, and what do you think is gonna happen with some of these other guys who who you know, like a John Garvin who leaves school early, a Trajan Bandy? Trajan is in a bad situation because he is five eight and mm-hmm. that limits where he can play. He's not gonna be on the outside. He's going to have to make his living as a slot corner. Um, right. Jonathan Garvin, I was really disappointed that he left because he needed to come back. He got some – I can't say it any other way. That, you know, People were telling – from what I understand, people were telling the family uh, possibly early third, late second. And – right. The thing that distresses me is that people don't really understand how this draft goes, how this, this this whole process goes. Okay, look, I'm not saying the kid's not talented, but he is a system kid. He's got to be in the right system. Okay, he's a pass-rushing defensive end. The best place for him probably would be Seattle, where he wouldn't have to gain a bunch of weight and he could play weak, play weak side defensive end in a 4-3. But because he's only 255 or so uh, and – uh, one of my one of my one of my partners says he's he you know who's close to the team says he's a legit six four and I keep telling him when you come from the combine, I know guys that went in six four and came out six two. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out six two and seven eighths. I hope he's at least six three. Mm. Problem is, he's gonna lose an inch I think, and then with his weight being two fifty five, he's gonna become an outside linebacker. How many times you see this guy drop in college? Never. So never. Because he has no experience as an outside linebacker in a game, and because he wasn't a senior and didn't play in the senior bowl, and so uh, two pro staffs didn't get a chance to actually see him do this. There's no way he's going in the first three rounds, you know, unless he runs a fucking four four, which is not going to happen. And the one guy I'm a dis- I'm, I'm sad for Shet, for Pinkney that he can't. Uh, work out but I think his labrum situation will work out I think he's going to drop he'll probably be a 7th rounder now but um, I think you know he he's shown he's you know the East West Shrine game will probably get him drafted because one of those two teams you know they saw him for a week they like what they saw I think Shaq is a classic run stuff and linebacker so I don't know how it's going to be for him because of the way the league is going. He probably will be a poor man's version of Denzel Pyramid. Uh, DJ right. Dallas does everything you want out of a running back. He runs inside. He runs outside. He can play the slot. He picks up the blitz. He can catch. He can return kicks. He can play special teams. Hill is a pass rusher who had a great senior bowl. I envision him going to a team and being a 3-4 outside linebacker like Baltimore or Pittsburgh. 
Um, who are we missing? Jeff Thomas. Oof, mm -hmm. man. The measurements didn't do him any favors. He's gonna have to run right. a crazy time. I think to get drafted, or excuse me, to get drafted. Period. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a really interesting weekend, man. Um, it's funny because so many different people uh, come up with different opinions. Like Mo Kuyper said, they think Trevon Hill, the Shaq Quarterman, will go first. Then other people, you know, have obviously rated Garvin and Dallas as as the best prospects, but. I, really, the combine is going to shape so much of this, and, and I have an article on theathletic.com, an interview I did with Shaq Quarterman la late last month. I went over to an autograph signing that him and Trajan Bandy were at, and I wanted to try to interview Trajan. I couldn't get that done, but I ended up talking to Shaq for a while. Shaq's been doing the media circuit quite a bit, and you know we just talked about what his goals were. He wants to try to run a 4.68 in the 40. That's going to be really important for him to show that he can play in space and has speed and so I'm rooting for Shaq, man. Shaq's the one guy, you know, of the veteran guys anyway, who played all the way through the bowl game. And so I think if you're a Hurricanes fan, uh, considering how tough the last couple of years have been on the field, you, you root for, you certainly root for a guy like Shaq Quarterman, who every single day was out there sacrificing his body and, and, and putting it out there and playing every single game that he could uh, for this program. All right, let's move on to spring football. And obviously starting Monday, a couple notes to, to, to make here right at the top. Uh, I've been told the spring game is going to be April 11th at Travis Powell Stadium, tentatively scheduled for a noon kickoff. That's what I've been told. Um, I know it's been reported elsewhere as well. Um, there's going to be 15 practices, like always, leading up to it, or 14 practices because the 15th is the spring game. Uh, they're going to probably have a couple close scrimmages like usual. Uh, the first four practices are going to be next week, Monday, Tuesday, I think Thursday, Friday. I, f I don't have the calendar right in front of me, but... They're going to be out there quite a bit next week, and then they'll have spring break, so there'll be a little break in between. But we're finally going to be able to see this uh, this new offense uh, with Rhett Lashley, and, and we're going to finally be able to see uh, Derek King and uh, some of the transfers that they've got there, Quincy Roche. We're going to see Jose Borregales. Uh But there are a lot of injuries. There are guys who are not going to be competing, and I think that's going to certainly shape um, – certain positions and one position that's going to be shaped by that is the linebacker position i spoke to somebody yesterday who told me it's basically going to be linebacker by committee so i wanted to kind of approach this from a storyline perspective as we as we discuss these subjects but right off the bat linebacker you're going to be shorthanded um you know because of those injuries let's look up the names here sam brooks jr uh bradley jennings tyreek austin cave and Corey flag are all going to be out this spring so um, that opens the door for Avery Huff, Patrick Joyner Jr., uh, Zach McLeod. Those, those guys are going to get a ton of work here in the spring. My, my question as we start this discussion is, you know, I've heard so much about Avery Huff and what a monster he is and how incredibly good he is. Um, my question to you, Kelvin, uh, are we 100% convinced that Zach McLeod is going to be a starter in this defense? Yes. And you don't you don't think Huff and and maybe Brooks by the time the fall rolls around that they that they're good enough to to, to maybe steal some playing time from him? No, um, Zach's gonna be the mic, and if he okay. plays like I think he plays, when it's all said and done, he'll be drafted higher than the other two guys. Okay. Now, Brooks, I think Brooks and Huff will probably battle out for the will position, but both of those guys, I'm extremely happy about. I mean. The upside is incredible. And I think Patrick Joyner 
will be a backup at Mike initially. He can play some well. Okay. But um, I'm really anxious to see what Bradley Jennings does when he comes back. And let's not forget, Wayman Steed will be practicing this spring. So He'll be the uh, the fourth guy, really. And, and you're hoping to see something out of him production-wise because – uh, you know, those. Th- I feel bad for those guys. I mean, they've been here three years and really haven't done much. They've been hurt. They've been behind the veterans. And, you know, between him and um, uh, what's his face? I'm forgetting uh, Jennings. I mean, it's like it's been three years where it feels like you haven't gotten anything out of them. Um, besides the linebacker position, uh, obviously all eyes are going to be on the quarterback. Um, you know, Derek King did an interview uh, recently, I guess, with WQAM, with Joe Zagaki, the, uh, the broadcaster, the game day broadcaster. He talked a little bit about what he's been focusing on. He says he's been throwing, you know, playing a lot of catch with Mark Pope and Mike Harley and D. Wiggins and Will Mallory and those guys. He's trying to basically build some good uh, relationships. And he said the number one trait a quarterback should have is leadership. So he's trying to come in there and earn the team's respect. I want to ask you this question from a, from a perspective uh, of, a, of a player, a guy who's in the huddle. When you guys had a new player come in, how long did it take them to earn the respect of their teammates? Ooh, well, I'll go back to Wesley Carroll when he came in from JUCO. It was pretty quick because he he did all the things. You know, he was working out hard. He ran hard in conditioning, and he showed the ability, and he made plays. So, you know, uh, Pee Wee Smith, Rick Nubia, yeah, all the guys that came in. I'm using the JUCO guys because, you know, those are, you know, new guys. We really, you know, Mm -hmm. back then you didn't have uh, mid-year guys. But, um, yeah, the JUCO guys are the closest thing to grad transfers. And we pretty much accepted all those guys because they had the same traits as we had. But I think it's different in each situation, especially now with this, um, you know, mid-year grad transfer or mid-year transfer portal thing. You know, you're able to see the guy through the – through the off-season conditioning, and you see what kind of work habits he got. I wish Trevon Hill would have been able to come here um, in January. I imagine his leadership would have been even greater. His influence would have been even greater on the team. But I, I'm I'm really excited about De'Aaron because I, I, I think I've said this before, not necessarily on this podcast, but with me and you on mine, and in, you know we're mm-hmm. talking – I've known about this kid since he was in the eighth grade because some of my close friends at Houston were, um, they went to high school with his dad and played football with his dad. And I followed this kid's career and this kid is a great kid. And if he stays healthy, um, we're going to be really tough to beat because he's an ultimate, he's the, a, He's the exact opposite of what we had last year in the quarterback room. Between him, bringing in him, and Van Dyke, we've um, we've done a complete 180 in the quarterback room. Yeah. Uh, Mike Zimmerman, I want to go to you for a second. I know I put it out on Twitter to try to get some questions in. We got any questions related to the quarterback? Uh, let's take a look here, Manny. Uh, well, so we've got receivers. We've got offensive line. We've got one here about De'Ara King. Um, it's been said about King that he's a poor man's Kyler Murray, according to NFL scouts. Does he truly have the potential to be a game changer for one season? Wow. Uh, yeah, the Kyler Murray comparison I've heard before. Um, I, look, I think nowadays in college football, you look at the, the grad transfer 
uh, quarterbacks. Obviously, Oklahoma, what they did with Jalen Hurts uh, this past season. I, I think it's sort of the equivalent to that. I think, you know, I think he can come in here and, and have a season like Jalen Hurts had at Oklahoma. Um, obviously, it's a different conference. They don't play defense in the Big 12 the way that they do in the ACC. But, you know, you look, you look at Virginia's quarterback from last year and the way that, you know, Virginia was able to ride a, a mobile playmaking quarterback. De'Eric King is, is better than that guy. Is he not, Kelvin? Yeah, he is. And let me tell you something. Um, advice that um, I'm actually going to give to him personally is watch a lot of Russell Wilson film because the one thing you guys are going to see, you know, you can go back and look at Houston 2018. He's got a, he's, he was pretty accurate with downfield throws, and he makes really good decisions. Uh, but the thing that you're going to see out of him that we haven't seen out of a quarterback ever here and I don't think the ACC has seen what he can do since his type of explosiveness since maybe a couple of those Virginia Tech quarterbacks like um, mm -hmm. Marcus Marcus Vick Brian, Brian Randall but he throws better than mm -hmm. both of those guys like he's a better version of Marcus Vick and he is um, similar to Kyler Murray but what I want to see out of him this year is to be Russell Wilson. And he does have that in him. He doesn't necessarily run to run. But last year when guys blitzed us. Now, you know, I'm not going to bash Jaron because I really think that, you know, if he'd have kept his head on straight, he could have been a great, great quarterback here at UM. And I think he still has a lot of potential. One of the things that he did do well was he was very accurate. But he wasn't very instinctive as a runner and under, you know, duress. If a team blitzes us and doesn't hit all the right gaps, you're going to hear our band playing the, th playing the fight song quite a bit because he will take it to the house. And yep. he's going to put pressure on teams that they've never seen off of a quarterback from the University of Miami. So... Uh, we won't see him, I don't think, on Saturday because his dad's funeral. But we'll get a glimpse of him next week. And yep. the excitement's going to start to rise. You're talking about a kid who returned to kickoff for a touchdown as a freshman against Texas State when he was at Houston. I mean, he can just see a crease and take it to the house. And, and I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. And it's really going to make – it's really going to help Miami's receivers out because now those safeties, they're going to have their eyes in the backfield wondering is the Eric King going to take off and that's going to give a Mark Pope uh, a D Wiggins an extra step and the same thing with with these freshman receivers which is where I want to transition to next um, because you know there's going to be uh, a need for somebody to step up and there's there's a little bit of a shortage there's a couple of uh, <clears throat> injuries obviously Brevin Jordan is out so you're going to have more snaps for Will Mallory that's important at tight end I think Will started to get more snaps late in the season you started to see him turn the corner a little bit because I thought yet last year was a little bit of a disappointing season for Will uh, up until the end when he started to play more. Um, but as far as the receivers are concerned, uh, Michael Redding, among the freshmen, he's going to be out, and that's kind of disappointing. He's got a wrist injury, so he's going to miss the whole spring. But you got the other three uh, freshman receivers who, in my eyes, you know, they, they've been turning heads from what I've been hearing uh, in, in practice, you know, in terms of the mat drills and all of the off-season conditioning stuff. There's a lot of excitement over some of these receivers that they've brought in. Um, 
let's go over some of the names here. Uh, you know, obviously Jeremiah Payton we've talked about before on the show. He's the redshirt freshman. Everybody's expecting big, th- big things out of him. But Xavier Restrepo, Keyshawn Smith, uh, DeZalen Worsham, uh, those three guys are going to get a lot of work this spring. And um, I- I'm really expecting Jeremiah to be the breakout guy. But I- I've heard so much about Keyshawn Smith. And he was a guy that they got late in the recruiting process from Washington State. It's going to be interesting to watch that guy and what he does in the spring game to see if he maybe he vaults forward. Because I think Restrepo and Worsham are seen more as, you know, slot guys, possession-type receivers. Smith is more of an outside guy, and I think that's where Miami needs more consistency from. You know, they need D. Wiggins to be more consistent on the outside. And so I think Peyton and Smith are two guys that can certainly push him at that spot. Yeah, um, Keyshawn Smith. Um, I'm hearing the same stuff. I expect Keyshawn Smith and Jeremiah Payton to be superstars. And I'm going to apologize once again for the last time to Xavier Restrepo for um, <laughs> underestimating him because all of, you know, he is, um, he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. And Mike Harley's going to have to buckle up. And Warsham, Warsham is, um, it's going to be good, too. If I had to rank the, the freshman receivers right now, I would say Smith, Restrepo, then Warsham. But they've all been pretty good. But if we're going to take that next step and be championship contenders, D. Wiggins and Mark Pope have to step up and be grown men and, 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 and you know continue the legacy. You're talking about guys to be stars at the next level. Wiggins has all of the tools to be a star, and Pope could be good too. He's got some Jerry Judy type ability, but he's got a, in my opinion, I think he has to spend more time watching film and perfecting his craft. Um, because, you know, football isn't just about ability. It's 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 it's, it's a it's a physical chess match, and you know our kids have been playing basic checkers for the last few years we got to get to that Kasparov level if we want to be champions and I think we can do that this year um, but I'm excited about the receivers and don't you sleep on Larry Hodges I think this is going to nope. be a breakout spring for him and from what I understand Mamorelli has been looking good too So you and, and look everybody writes this kid off but Mike Irvin the second has a great pair of hands and I think he will get a shot in the league. Probably won't get drafted, but he'll get a free agent shot. And don't be surprised if he makes the team because he can block and he can catch. And those are two things that you need to do, be able to do with tight end. Block and catch. And I think I want to see him get a little bit more of an expansion on his role. I mean, it's going to be tough when you got Brevin and Mallory and Hodges because I think Hodges is going to play a big role in this new offense too. But I think we're going to we're going to see Mike Irvin contribute this year. Mike, I'm curious, what's your biggest question as a UM fan heading in into spring practice? What's the biggest storyline? You know, maybe aside from De'Ara King because I know that's going to be everybody's answer. De'Ara King, the offense. But when you look at last year's team, what what strikes you as the most important area? I mean, I'm surprised you guys haven't mentioned offensive line yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that that was that was the biggest hole last season, and it's not like we saw as the season progressed it got better. I mean, yes, marginally got better, but 
we didn't see vast improvements to give us hope for this season. So I guess maybe spring practice here is a time for them to get things right. And, and maybe they had a year to develop and, and because I mean, if Derek King's running around for his life, it doesn't matter who's behind center, you know, he, he needs a pocket, you know? So I, I think offensive line is my biggest thing I'm going to be looking at because if you, if you can have just a, just an average to solid offensive line, I think De'Ara King can 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 make things happen. But if he's just running for his life the entire time, it's going to be difficult regardless of the type of offense and the type of quarterback you have. So I think it starts with offensive line, especially from what we saw last season. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, one thing I'm going to say before I, I, I pitch the question to Kelvin, I, I spoke to somebody yesterday. I asked him about Jalen Rivers because he's obviously the, the big addition. They only signed two offensive linemen in this class. Uh, plus they got Cleveland Reed back. Who, uh, who basically walked away from the team and then was welcomed back. So they've got 13 offensive linemen on scholarship. And I think they could probably use that last scholarship on an offensive lineman if they like one. But I, I asked about Jalen Rivers, and the, qu- the response I got from one of the staffers was, we love his potential, but we're going to have to see if he can really fit in and play right away. And I think as much as he's experience that he got at the high school level, I think last year... Um, Miami had no choice but to play, you know, Zion Nelson and Ja'Kai Clark, true freshmen. I think this year they feel good about their first five, and I know Navon Donaldson isn't going to be around this spring because he's recovering from the knee injury, but they feel good about their first five. I think they feel good about John Campbell, and I think the feeling is, hey, we're not going to rush Jalen Rivers the way we had to do those freshmen last year. We're going to make sure that he's ready and that he's able to earn it. And I think that's a good approach to have because we don't want to get back to this level where true freshmen are having to play right away. Am I right or am I wrong in my assessment there, Kelvin? No, I agree. Um, two things. Let me just address what Mike said. No, the offensive line did improve. And there were signs. Now, me being an offensive line when I saw it. But there's going to, you know, there's going to be some small technical changes that the average fan won't appreciate with Garen Justice the way he teaches technique that are going to make a world of difference. You, I expect to see a lot better play out of um, out of Zion Nelson this year for the simple fact one that he'll be in his second year, but two, the 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 pass pro philosophy of Garen Justice because compared to Butch Berry with the tackles will change and. I think, you know, fans out there who listen to UM Podcasts have heard the rant that Romberg and McKinney went on on Romberg's show earlier in the year about, um, you know, McKinney was talking about the short setting. And that was the main technique that he was using with the tackles, which put a guy who was, you know, coming from Class 3A Carolina, you know, in a it, it was just... That kid handled it well. But, you you know, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin usually don't play their linemen until the third year. Most schools want to have it that way because you want to have time to develop. Well, we only got 13 because of so many guys transferring. And, you know, but to me, the key player for this whole spring is John Campbell. If John Campbell can go out the right tackle, and perform well and win the right tackle spot, we can put 
scathe back inside the guard. And when Nervon comes back, we've got a three guard rotation with Nervon and scathe and then Clark able to rotate left and right with Campbell outside at that right tackle. And Jalen Rivers able to learn but be the float tackle for left and right where you have seven really good linemen. And then, from what I've understood, Treor had a great uh, season working the scout team. So we got eight solid linemen. Um, Cleveland Reed has ability, but I don't know how he'll do in this new scheme. And then the two guys that I refuse to use their names, at some point, <laughs> they got to step up to the plate, 57 and 75. That's what they'll be named as, known as. Right. But, they got to earn their names. But, but – but they feel good about six to seven guys right now. That's better than they did last year. I don't know that they felt good about three guys last year on the first game. So, um, by the way, I got a question here from a friend of the show, Carlos uh, Lelo, who says, I've heard Matoka is a rich man's Evan Sheriffs, but a poor man's Robert Marv. Also, that Ja'Kai Clark is a middle-class Kelvin Harris. True or untrue? <laughs> 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 wow! Yeah, yeah, Carlos. Carlos is uh, Carlos is a big fan of the show, and I and I like his comedy. Um, your your you, thoughts you, on the Jakai Clark comparison? Do you see yourself in him a little bit, Kelvin Harris? Oh, he reminds me of me a little bit when I was in the league because I was bigger then. I was you know mm -hmm. three oh five maybe, and yeah, because he's only six one. I was six two, and he he played center and guard. He probably should be playing center, but yeah, he does kind of remind me of myself. Uh, but he and he's a really smart kid. Um, mm -hmm. But the Peyton Matoka man, Evan Sheriffs, that's just disrespectful. <laughs> now I'll say this, Robert Marv. That's not a bad comparison. Robert Marv played three years in the Canadian League. You know, mm -hmm. started a couple games, a few games in the Canadian League. He just couldn't stay healthy. And when he was at UM, he had a, a little bit of an attitude problem. Uh, you know, he wasn't a cancer as far as being a teammate, but his, he had off-the-field issues, mostly with his girl, that, you know, caused Randy not to trust him. But as far as talent, if you're comparing Peyton Matoka to Marv, that's a, you know, that's not nothing to be, be ashamed of. I've heard that he's very mobile, doesn't have a rocket, rocket arm, but he's athletic, and he's got some accuracy. Um... Who knows? We're gonna see, but I know he's well. I know he's well liked because I think uh, Harley was talking about him at the end of last season. Because we somebody asked him about you know Matoka, what's he been like? And I think I think for the most part the receivers like him as far as his attitude and the way that he carries himself. He's not arrogant or a problem at all. Um, let's switch the conversation to defense because we, I feel like we spent a lot of time talking offense. I, and obviously one one more thing to note here as a spring preview. No Don Cheney Jr. We've talked about that on the podcast before. He's got a shoulder injury. So, essentially, three healthy scholarship running backs. Uh, it's going to be big, uh, you know, as far as uh, Robert Burns and Cameron Harris, those veteran guys, and then Jalen Knighton learning pass protection schemes. So, the running, you know, we've covered the running back position. Uh, those are the three guys that will be around this spring. Um, as far as defense, the only position change on the team, I've been told by a staffer, is the fact that uh, Keontra Smith, the sophomore safety, has moved to striker. But in a, in a lot of ways, that's what the striker position is. It's a, it's a safety. It's an extra safety position on the field because of 
uh, how much uh, coverage they have to do. Gilbert Frierson was the only scholarship guy there right now. Uh, they've moved Keontra Smith there. And I know that there's some of these other freshmen that they've recruited could potentially play in the box and, and be a striker-type talent. So I ask, I ask you, first of all, uh, Kelvin, on the defensive side, what do you think of that move of Keontra Smith going to the striker spot? I think I think it's a good move, and I think Frierson might not take it for granted that he's a starter because that kid can get the job done. Um, I know that there was some talk of Keyshawn Washington, but he's really thin. He's only like 170, 175, so yeah, he's a safety. Yeah, he's a safety. But Keontra mm-hmm. Smith, yeah, I – Honestly, I'm not, I'm a little surprised that, well, I guess you can't do it now, but I wouldn't be surprised if Amari Carter doesn't make that move in the uh, in the fall because he strikes me more as a striker than Keontra Smith because, you know, he can play safety. He played both free and strong. Now, I think that the problem is can he cover the slot? You know, that that's the one, you know, um, thing that you got to think about. But I'm excited about Keontra Smith. And I think Frierson is going to have a breakout year. But let's say this. If both of those guys slip up and we get into fall camp, don't be surprised if Avery Huff and Sam Brooks ain't on the field together with Zach McLeod. Because Avery Huff can play that striker position. Right. He could. But I think in the end, from what I've heard, and, and, you know, my interview, I did a long interview with Shaq. I asked him about Avery, and he just says, look, man, that kid brings the wood every single time. He is such a physical player that once they put the weight on him, and I don't know what he's up to now. I don't know where he's at physically. I don't know what he's listed at. But uh, I think that kid is trending towards, you know, being, especially with Sam Brooks being out this spring, I think Avery Huff can catch him very, very quickly and, and really – you know, bring the heat on him as far as that starting job opposite Zach McLeod. Um, you know, everything I've heard about Avery is he was just a man-child in, in those scout team workouts, and he's uh, he's he's going to be a good one at Miami. Um, the secondary, let's move to that really quickly. Um, obviously, you got some incoming freshmen, some guys that are going to be getting here, I think, a little bit later that that are not here yet. Um, what do you what do you make of Al Blades and DJ Ivy and the safety spot? You know, Bubba Bolden's gonna try to come back at some point this spring, according to Manny Diaz, but he's not gonna start the spring. Um, how do you think the sec- secondary is gonna shake out, and what are you looking forward to this spring? When Bubba Bolden is healthy, we will have the best safety combination in the ACC between him and Gervin Hall, and Al Blades and DJ Ivy. This is that next step year. Like last year, they got their feet wet. This year, we need to step up and be locked down. I, I just got through um, going over the uh, updated rosters for Clemson and LSU. And when I look at their rosters on defense and in, in the secondary, and you look at ours, I mean, on paper, there's no excuse why we can't be the best secondary in America. Um, when you look at the kids at LSU, Derek Stingley, well, Al Blades and, and both DJ Ivy are bigger than him. Now, he's not a 4-3 guy. He's just got great technique. Al's technique got better as the year went on. Ivy has probably more 
physical gifts. But together, those two guys, if they pay attention to what Rump is teaching and put the work in, we could have a really good secondary. And that secondary is going to be better this year because we got two werewolves at the, excuse me, four werewolves at defensive end, which are going to make it a lot tougher on teams to throw the ball. But if you're a safety at the University of Miami now, you don't have any excuse not to be great because you got the greatest safety of this generation looking over your shoulder and giving you advice. Yeah, Ed Reed, is, his, his effect is going to be unbelievable, I think, in the secondary. Uh, just having him around for, for kids to talk about coverage, reading quarterbacks. He is going to unleash all of his secrets that made him such a beast, and he's going to make these guys better. There's no doubt that, that there's going to be a huge effect. You touched on the defensive linemen. Uh, we've we've mentioned some of the freshmen and people that are going to be here. Mike Zimmerman, I'm going to kick this uh, to you now uh, as the last question as we wrap things up here. What on on the defensive side? What are you looking forward to the most? And we, you talked about the offensive line for the offense, but defense. What what are you sort of plugged into? I, I guess I'm just excited about the uh, the defensive end duo um, of Greg Rousseau and, and Roche. I I think that everybody has their hopes so high on these two and and rightfully so you have two of the top sack leaders in the entire country now on the same defensive line which is certainly going to cause problems for for offensive lines they're gonna have to double team one of them or even both of them and then that's just going to you know cause one-on-one matchups on the inside for defensive tackles so i I think i i think that we haven't had a, a defensive end duo like this at miami in a very long time and i think that's that's one thing that me and I think probably the rest of the of Canes fans are excited about, seeing how well these two guys are going to work together now on the edges. Yeah, and, and don't forget Jalen Phillips. You know, he's another guy who, uh, him and Jafari Harvey, uh, that are that we're really going to start to see a lot more of now as far as the rotations and whatnot. So there'll be guys to watch here in the spring. And then I think the defensive tackle position um, is also very important. You know, obviously you got John Ford coming back. He's a starter. I thought he was solid last year. Um, but, you know, then you have the enigma that is Nista Silvera. Are you going to get this kid to finally be as good as he was advertised? Is Jordan Miller, uh, you know, going to take the next step and not just be a guy who flashes, but a guy who dominates? And then you have those three redshirt freshmen, you know, Harrison Hunt, Blissett, Holly, all of those guys who we heard so much about uh, at the defensive tackle. It's going to be really interesting to see how how this defensive line uh dominates if they if they're killing the offensive line i mean i don't know that you can necessarily fault the offensive line because i really do feel like this is one of the best defensive lines in the country on paper what you have coming back so i think zion you know your question before was about the offensive line i think this offensive line every day is going to be like holy crap we've got to block these guys and and it's going to be it's really going to prepare them for the regular season kelvin what are your final thoughts as we wrap this up well Looking at the defense, the defensive tackles are the ones that are the prove-it-to-me players, as Hubie Brown used to say on the uh, old Heat (laughs) telecast. Because, as Mike alluded to, when you're um, looking at a game plan from an offensive perspective, if you're a coordinator, you have to chip Russo and Roche. Well, the problem is, if you're chipping both of them, that's taking people out of the route initially. And that means that Miller, Ford, Nesta, 
and whichever one of those three freshmen that hits that fourth spot, they're going to get one-on-ones. Now, Warren Sapp is a good friend of mine. And I remember we used to talk about this every week when he was playing. I would say to him, you're going to get six one-on-ones this week. And he would say to me, I got to get home. Because in the reality of the way this thing goes, as an offensive lineman, I can play 70 plays and grade out at 95%. But in that 5% of my failure could be two sacks, three tackles for loss, and a forced fumble. And my day looks completely different. So as a defensive tackle, to get one-on-ones, you know, is it really it means you suck because they don't respect you and you got to force them to respect you and if you're jordan miller or nesta i need to see nesta i mean i know i've seen nesta say he don't want to be the next this or the next that and you know honestly we don't want you to be the next warren south because you ain't gonna be warren south that's never gonna happen again ever ever at um or anywhere else never gonna be another jerome brown ever here or anywhere else but we need you to be close i mean you know we need you to be a pass rushing defensive tackle we need you to get up the field we need gerald willis out of you that's all i'm asking just be gerald willis if we get a gerald willis performance out of our defensive tackles we're going to be almost unbeatable because what happens is when you're getting a four-man rush that allows you to play coverage with the other seven and if you got that type of pass rush out of your ends, you can play press coverage with your corners who are long. And now the quarterback has to get the ball out of his hands quick, which means he's got to make quick decisions. Sometimes they ain't the right decisions. So if and 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 you know, it's nice to have the pass rush out of Rouche and Rousseau, but one of those guys has got to step up in the middle because the most disturbing thing for a quarterback is pressure in his face up the middle because you can't move around from that so i'm really interested to see what happens at the defensive tackle spot because you know as sap has always said to me because he's the toughest critic on his position we haven't won a national championship with sorry defensive tackles so i'm gonna need to see them step it up because that is the key to the whole defense yeah, I, I completely agree. And by the way, John Ford, he wants to get paid. I, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a damn well-motivated uh, John Ford who's going to want to be more than just saw that he wants to be spectacular. So I think right off the bat, that kid, I'm expecting a jump this year from his from his ability and his performance. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I got to get on a plane in a few hours to Indianapolis. I got a Q&A to do. Uh, thank you for joining me once again to uh, preview spring football. Be sure to follow me on Manny at Manny underscore Navarro on Twitter for updates uh, next week during practice and uh, to follow all the coverage at theathletic.com. Thanks, Kelvin, once again. Uh, excellent work by you. Excellent work by you, uh, Mike Zimmerman. Look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Before we go, here's a voicemail left behind by our friend uh, Raul. Mahani, Raul from Hialeah. No, long time, no talking, my friend. Oh, yeah, the spring football is coming up, baby. I'm excited like that, uh, like the song from uh, Willie Smith, uh, y así es. Spring, spring time, spring time. So excited, man. I, I cannot wait to see this kid, uh, Derek Dakin. 
Uh, I don't know if it's related to Martin Luther King, but it was very nice to have royalty in, in, the, in the quarterback room and improve that team and improve that quarterback room because those guys were terrible last year. Jaren Williams is a material logo. I cannot take any more Nicosi, Sicose, Sicote, Perry. And I'm over uh, state chasing the uh, Brazilian girl over Miami. Although if I was him, I'd do the same thing. We would go out on it. I wouldn't play football no more. I'd just play soccer and play, uh, be a member of the Brazilian soccer team with that girl. Uh, I cannot wait to see the Quincy Ferrero Roche. Uh, I love his family's chocolates. Hopefully he's a good defensive end. On top of that, uh, looking forward to seeing uh, Jose El Patón Borregales. The kid has an iron leg. I cannot wait to see him kicking field goals. And thank God we got rid of Bobo Baxter. Bobo no coming back to no more. Goodbye, Bobo. Uh, excited to see Red Lachely, uh, Fred Offense. Uh, I believe Red Lachely's offense will score quicker than Will Chamberlain and Abordelo. Uh, we, we need to really get excited and, and start the spring and watching the bad taste of 2019 out of mouth like Isterine. I'm hoping it tastes like Manny must watch. Manny's done a great job uh, doing the off-season thing. But ahora que se ponga la pila, hopefully his Cuban half takes over this season because obviously the one that coached last season was his American half. Okay? I know he's 50-50, but it needs to be a little bit of 75, 25 this time being more Cuban. You know what I'm saying? Que se ponga la pila. Bueno, uh, Raul going back to his off-season training. I'm currently catching the Coronita virus, which means I'm only drinking the 7-ounce Coronas instead of the 12-ounce. I'm building up my tolerance and my resistance again. And uh, we sing Yandel, myself and my wife, will be ready for the season, baby. Let's go, King. Say you big cat. Yeah. You big yeah. cabin, baby. Ain't no cabin over here. Ain't no cabin.